This is episode 88 of the Landscape Photography Show brought to you by Near Zero Backpacks. And before we get started on today's episode, I want to thank patron Franka Gabler, who lives in California. Frank and I have been talking periodically over Facebook, and she was generous enough to support the podcast month after month to continue it going week after week, bringing you the best photographers and interviews possible. Because Franca is a patron to the podcast, she gets exclusive audio content, video content, webinars, as well as benefits based on the tier that she chose to support the podcast with. If you want to become a patron and get access to all that exclusive content plus benefits, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up to support the podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with one of my most influential photographers that I had when I was starting out in photography. And it's not like we talked one-on-one, but I did read Michael Fry's blog basically every single time he posted something. Michael Fry has been one of my favorite photographers for such a long time, and it's always fun to talk to Michael because he has a very unique view on photography itself after decades of photographing some of the most pristine places in the Western United States. So without further ado, let's get to our podcast with Michael Fry. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. We're joined by Michael Fry joining us from California. Michael, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I, I'd just like to get everybody on the same page when we begin a, a discussion and an interview of how you actually got started in landscape photography and kind of what led you to the point you're at right now. Well, uh, I got started a long time ago. Um, uh, basically, mid-80s was when I started um, doing photography seriously. So it's been a while. Um, and, uh, at the time, uh, I had just moved to Yosemite, Yosemite National Park in California, uh, was working there. Uh, I really, my main interest sort of passion at the time was rock climbing, but then somehow, you know, I got interested in, in photography and kind of I was also just interested in nature, I guess you would say, you know, really interested in nature and in wildlife Um, and got into photography in order to just kind of document what I was seeing and be able to show other people, you know, these beautiful, amazing things or try to show people these beautiful, amazing things I was seeing in nature. And so that's really how I got started in photography. Um, My wife Claudia and I, well, actually before we got married, we met in 84, but in 85, we were both living in Yosemite, both got jobs at the Ansel Adams Gallery. Um, and that really, you know, spurred my interest in photography. Um, it was a great place. I worked there for about six years and it was a great place to really learn so much. I mean, I never have, I don't have any formal education in photography, but working there, just meeting lots of other very accomplished photographers, um, seeing what they did, how they went about doing what they do, 
um, just looking at lots of work, which wasn't as easy to do back then as it is now. You know, now you can go on the internet and see all kinds of photography, but back then you were, um, you know, you had to see things either in books or magazines or in galleries like that. So, um, so anyway, so that was how I got started. That was my, my sort of impetus was really just a love for nature. And then, you know, the early education was, um, working at the gallery and meeting all those other photographers and being exposed to so much great work. Um, and then, gosh, I don't know, you know, uh, my journey from there to here, um, been a, a kind of a long meandering one. I really started out mostly specializing in wildlife photography. That was my main interest and passion back in late eighties when I was starting out. Um, and then I think just gradually because, um, I got frustrated with wildlife photography. It can be so hit and miss that I, I kind of gravitated more to photographing subjects that didn't move as much. So, um, so more towards photographing landscapes. I mean, I photograph landscapes and intimate scenes and things all along the way, but just concentrating more on that. Um, and then I started doing some night photography back in the nineties, um, some kind of pretty wild stuff where, uh, I just started experimenting and started lighting up objects at night using flash and colored gels, really colorful photographs. And then, um, I don't know, I've continued to evolve Do you know, I do these days I do, you know, mainly landscapes, but I still photograph wildlife sometimes definitely photograph both, you know, big and small subjects. Um, I still do night photography though, not as wild as the stuff that I did back in the nineties. Um, and, and I really love doing all of that. You know, my passion is still nature. I love nature. I love photographing nature. I love, um, photographing all kinds of different aspects of nature and, you know, big and small, um, all kinds of different moods, you know, kind of pretty beautiful, dramatic, mysterious, whatever, whatever I can. Um, and yeah, um, I guess that's, that's the story so far. I think that I've had a lot of people from your area who, who live around there, who gravitated towards Yosemites, especially who were either mountaineers or, uh, rock climbers are really mm. interested in that. Is that kind of for, for your area and a lot of the photographers, you know, around there, is that kind of the gateway drug I'll say into <laughs> like loving nature and loving nature photography? Hmm. Um, for some people, not, not everybody for sure. Um, you know, I know you had, um, Bill Neal on your podcast and, and, um, he's, you know, he was never a rock climber to my knowledge, um, or anything like that. And, uh, he's, he's, you know, kind of a, he lives in this area too. Um, but there are a number of people who have gone into photography through some kind of mountaineering or rock climbing background. Galen Rowell is, is one well-known example of that. Um, Jeff Foote is a, a friend of 
mine, a friend of ours, my wife, Claudia and I, um, who was, um, one of the, you know, one of the climbers hanging out in camp four in Yosemite Valley in the sixties. And, um, he's gone on to make a career of photography. Um, I, you know, there, there are a lot of people I think who, who maybe combine those two things or, or those two things are interrelated somehow. And then there's also the, you know, the music connection, which I don't really have, but, um, you know, Ansel Adams was a musician. Um, my friend, Charlie Kramer, Charles Kramer, wonderful photographer, and also another wonderful musician. So there seems to be a connection there too. Um, anyway, all kinds of connections with other outdoor pursuits and artistic pursuits. I think when you get into it. Last time you rock climbed was when? <laughs> a long time ago. So um, probably, you know, mid 80s or so. So um, when I met my future wife, Claudia, that was in May of 1984, um, somehow my interest in rock climbing suddenly waned and I became a lot more interested in her. And <laughs> so... So there you go. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah, exactly. You mentioned getting serious about your photography in early to mid eighties that mm. I, I don't want to date you here, but that puts <laughs> you at about four decades of work. Yeah, that's a long um, time. What, what would you say your, your greatest multi-year period of growth has been not only for photography, but I would say like self-expression through mm. creating images. Wow. Um, I don't know if I could pick one. Uh, I could, I could look back at a couple. So I think the very beginning of course, and that's probably true for most photographers that you do a lot of growing in the first couple of years, you're, you're doing this and you're learning a lot of new things. Um, in the 90s, maybe around mid-90s or so, I reached a point where I felt a little stuck creatively. I think many photographers kind of go through that as well. And I just started experimenting with lots of different things, um, multiple exposures and um, you know, like multiple exposures on one piece of film. Uh, and also experimenting with using flash, something I'd never done before. And that led me to doing that nighttime work I was talking about. So using flash at night to light up objects in the foreground against um, night sky or dusk sky. And you know that was a, a period of real big creative growth. I, I you know, doing things way different than anything I'd ever done before. And, you know, I hadn't seen work like it before either, though I found out later there were some people doing other people doing somewhat similar things. Um, and so that was a, that was a big period of growth. Um, I guess just as an aside here, you know, for those people who, who do get stuck in that creative rut where you don't feel like you're you're growing, you feel like you're, you kind of just doing the same thing or imitating yourself and you want to get out of that rut. I really just highly recommend 
doing what I did, which is experimenting, trying different things, you know, new subjects, new places, you know, even a completely different genre of photography than you normally do, whatever it might be. And it's not that those experiments are necessarily going to lead anywhere. They might, they might not, probably most of them won't, but something might strike a chord like that knife photography did with me where, um, I realized that by using that technique, by using flash and, and colored gels and lighting things up at night, I could make photos that have very different mood or feeling than anything I'd done before, you know, where I could actually maybe convey a little bit of the sense of mystery in my photographs that I felt sometimes when I'm out in nature, you know, I mean, like when you're out in nature, sometimes things are just really beautiful but there are other times when you feel at least i feel this sense of power and mystery you know the cosmos um looking up at stars at night um that kind of thing and and that i found up until that point i had found was a difficult thing to sort of express and and so that experiment led me to a way that i felt i could do that um, anyway, um, so I highly recommend just trying new things and, and anything, and you never know where it might lead. Um, I, these days, you know, I would say I, I still keep growing. I still keep learning. Um, that's one of the things I really enjoy about photography. Uh, I think a lot of people do. I think that's one of the reasons why people enjoy, you know, taking workshops and doing things like that is because they like to learn. Um, they're, they're passionate about photography. And so it's something they're really interested in. They want to get better at, but we also just all like learning new things. And that again, is one of the great things about photography is that there's no end to what you can learn about it. You know, you've never mastered it. I don't, you know, at least I don't know that that anybody could could say, "Oh, I've completely mastered this. I I don't have anything more to learn about photography." Um, I certainly wouldn't say that. And so I'm I'm still learning new things all the time, and I feel like I continue to grow. Although at this point, um, I wouldn't say that that it's a you know, like a big spurt of growth. It's more a, a kind of a gradual, um, steady, keep learning new things, keep expanding my um, ideas, ideas, I guess I would say, about what could work as a photograph or, or how I might make a photograph that could show something or express something in a new way. Is there a sense of courageousness attached to trying so many new things without being, you said, formally taught uh, photography? Hmm. I wouldn't say so. Um, you know, I, I don't, at least for me, I, I don't know that it, it um, that, that I think of it as taking much courage to experiment and, and do something new. Um it's, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, if it doesn't work, I don't have to show it to anybody, you know? <laughs> so, so it's, it's a personal thing, right? Um, 
it, and you know, if, if something works great, if it doesn't, then, um, that's fine too. Um, it's part of the, the growing process. Um, <clears throat> I can think of a, another example of, um, I think this is, this is maybe in the mid two thousands or so when, um, I was, I had, starting to work digitally. Um, and I accidentally drastically overexposed an image on the back and, and looked at it at the back of my camera and said, Oh my God, yeah, look at that. And then I said, Oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. And that actually led me to doing a series of, of high key images that, uh, were deliberately overexposed, you know, just, um, very light, um, partially blown out kind of emphasizing the, the patterns of darker areas in the picture shadows rather than the bright areas, which are usually what our eyes go to. Um, so that was just, you know, that was another, uh, fun experiment that, that led to sort of a series of images that, that I like. Um, and, um, but that was just, you know, that was just an accident. And sometimes those accidents can lead to interesting places. Um, but, you know, if, but my first deliberate attempts to do that weren't very good, you know, it, it took a while and I didn't know if it would actually lead to anything worthwhile or not. You never know. There, there've been plenty of other, um, avenues that I've experimented with that haven't really led anywhere particularly interesting, but they were fun to try. Do you think you'll ever leave Yosemite? Huh. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. It's not out of the, it's not out of the question that that could happen. Um, but at this point it's my home. You know, I, I live now in Mariposa, which is about an hour from Yosemite Valley. And, you know, my wife, Claudia and I lived right in Yosemite Valley for over 20 years, but, but now we live outside. Um, certainly feels like home. It's the, by far the longest I've lived anywhere. And, um, Yosemite is, um, sort of, a. it's a place I have a, a deep connection with. It's, uh, I, I kind of think of it as my, my spiritual home in a way, even though I don't actually live there anymore. And it would be hard to think about you know, being far away from Yosemite, but you know, there are lots of other wonderful, beautiful places in the world. And maybe it would be fun to, to go live somewhere else and, and kind of explore some of those other places for a while. Hey guys, real quick, I want to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's Near Zero Backpacks. And Near Zero has been working really hard to develop the world's lightest and only camera bag that's actually coming in at under two pounds by using a really simple design and modern fabrics. You're not dealing with like all those straps that can get caught on things or a million pockets that you lose track of, and you can't find those batteries or SD cards that get lost down in those pockets. With a design inspired by modern ultralight backpacking packs, I think it's really cool how they've married lightweight fabrics with also a design where you can pack more into the bag 
and kind of adjust the size of the bag as well with that lightweight material. I was honestly just trying to rip the lightweight material that's on the outside of the bag and I could not do it. This stuff is really tough. And you know, you hear ads all the time on podcasts and you're like, this person is just reading off of a list. I'm literally holding the bag right now and it's actually quite impressive. The simplicity of it makes sense and the fabrics make sense. The lightweight design is unmatched. I've been really impressed. So if you want, you can check out Near Zero Backpacks by going to nearzerolabs.com and be sure you tell them that David sent you from the Landscape Photography Show. They have options of custom print packs and also standard packs that are ready to ship right away. But right now, let's get back to our interview with Michael Fry. Well, let me ask you this. Do you ever get tired of photographing Yosemite? Because I know, you know, there was some discussion on Facebook pretty recently, and I think I saw it through uh, Josh Cripps' Mm -hmm. Facebook Mm -hmm. profile. He was there, Bill Neal was there, and uh, you were there as well, photographing Tunnel View. Mm -hmm. And the conditions were insane. Like Mm -hmm. anybody would love to be there that morning. But Mm I, I got to thinking when I kept seeing those and I saw those three names coming up of people who were there was what would actually draw me if I had been there so many times, what would draw me to go back to a place over and over? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, first of all, in in general, in Yosemite, I think it's a really diverse place. And, you know, it's not just about the iconic views in Yosemite Valley. There's, there's so much more to the park and the surrounding area. I would include the foothills where I live, uh, west of the park. And then for about five months of the year, we can go over Toyoga Pass and go over to the east side of the Sierra, which is a very different and, and also really beautiful environment. Um, and then there's you know, the high country of the park and so forth. So there's a tremendous amount of variety, not only geographically um, in terms of habitat, but also seasonally and so forth. Um, so, so there's lots to photograph. Um, I also think that there's a, there's a certain value to going back to the same place over and over. You know, when you, when you go to a new place, it's, it's easy, or at least relatively easy maybe, to, to pick up the, the low-hanging fruit, right? You know, kind of certain things, whether or not we're talking about, you know, kind of the, the iconic spots that other people have gone to before, or maybe it's not a a location that many other photographers have gone to. Let's say it's a place that not a lot of photographers go, but it's, it's, so it's completely new to you. Um, you haven't seen photos of it before, but it might be relatively easy to sort of pick up the low hanging fruit in the sense of what seemed like the, the obvious, Oh, look at that. Isn't that cool? Let me photograph that, that kind of stuff. But then if you keep going back and back and back, you have to dig a little bit deeper. You're, you've photographed all the things that have, immediately jumped out at you. And so then it's like, well, what else is there? You know, if, if you don't want to repeat yourself, um, what else can I see? You know, let me look a little bit deeper. Let me look a little bit harder. And, and that 
can force you in a way to be more imaginative, more creative. Um, so I think there's some, some value in that. Um, you know, that, that discussion that you mentioned, um, it, it, it brought up some really interesting thoughts for me because, um, you know, Bill Neil, William Neil posted on Facebook, um, a, a picture of a bunch of photographers that morning that we were there standing at tunnel view with tripods and so forth. And, um, and so there were some comments in response to that about, you know, basically why would anyone want to do that, stand with all those other photographers and, and photograph that same scene that, that so many have photographed before. Um, and it got me thinking about that, you know, because I was there and, and why was I there? And I think the bottom line is that I was there because I wanted to, um, because um, I thought I might enjoy it, and I did. Um, I guess, you know, I, I don't particularly care if a certain scene or subject has been photographed by other people before. You know, I care about what I'm inspired by. You know, I'd rather not repeat myself if possible, so if I can find a new location or a new subject or new way of seeing a familiar place, you know, that's great. But I'm not driven by the need to be different at all costs. You know, so mainly I want to enjoy myself. And I think I do that best when I just follow my own instincts and photograph whatever I'm inspired to photograph without worrying about how the resulting images might compare to other people's images or whether it's done before or any of that you know, kind of external mental baggage. And, you know, I had a great time that morning at Tunnel View. I, when conditions are like that, when you have this beautiful mist and light and so forth, I don't know, I just find that to be really fun. And, you know, were there images that I made, the resulting images, you know, some um, groundbreaking new work? Well, of course not. But I had a really great time doing, doing that and photographing that place. And, and it was so beautiful. You know, I just loved watching it too. Um, and to me, that's, you know, that's the most important thing is just that I enjoy myself and I enjoy being out in nature and, and seeing that kind of beauty. Um, and, you know, sometimes that might mean going to some more out of the way, lesser known location, but if it seems like a place like Tunnel View is the best place to go on that given morning and at that time. And then, you know, then I don't mind doing that. Well, I think the the question that was raised, like, why would you go there? Um, it, it To me, it, it evokes this thought of what a lot of people see photography as right now, as more of you know, I got to create the, the, the image that nobody's seen before the place that nobody has found before. Um, but photography, just like you said, is, is, is just fun. I can remember going back to, to the Smokies and going to Klingman's dome. Every single time I go, I go up to the dome and I often ask myself the same thing. Why am I going back here? And it's, the experience that you get with a lot of your friends who just stand up and watch it unfold. And yeah, there are 
20 tripods lined up next to you. But experiencing that with other people is a different feeling than if you're walking down a secluded path, trying to find that, you know, intimate unknown space. Yeah, it is. Um, I think most nature photographers are probably introverts, at least somewhat. They're, they're definitely exceptions, right? But so, so I think for a lot of us, we would prefer to be alone. We'd prefer to be out by ourselves photographing somewhere. And, and, you know, I, I love doing that too. You know, I, I prefer that I'd prefer to be, um, just wandering someplace by myself or maybe just with my wife, Claudia or a friend or something. Um, and, you know, becoming immersed in nature that way. But I can also enjoy that sort of group experience you were talking about where you're sharing this, you know, incredibly beautiful scene with a bunch of other people who are also enjoying it. And, um, and, you know, and, and socializing a little bit with, with other people who share the same passion as you do. So yeah, that can, that can be fun too. Um, I wanted to, to sort of um, maybe circle back to something you mentioned about, you know, trying to to um, be original and be different and to make photographs that that are different, um, because I think that's a that's a big topic of conversation in in the landscape photography world these days, and I, I understand that right. It's I think at least in part a reaction to all the copying that goes on in photography these days, you know, in, in this age of internet and social media, somebody posts a photo that might be a little bit different or of a different location or whatever. And it seems like immediately a whole bunch of people go out and copy it. And so, um, so I think there's a natural reaction to that, to, to, to want to avoid that maybe to make images that, aren't from an easily identifiable or recognizable location and, and that aren't like, you know, everybody else's photographed. Um, but I was thinking about that recently, you know, kind of what, what is the, what is the value of originality? You know, we kind of take that for granted. I think sometimes we, we assume that it's better to be original. That's better to be, to make photos that are different and original. But why is that? You know, wh why is that? You know, it sort of goes to like a, as an unquestioned assumption. It's actually really easy to make an original photograph. You know, I, I can take out my iPhone right now and make an, an original photograph, something, something really different, right? Um, here, I'll, I'll point it up. You can see me, the listeners can't, but I'll just describe it. I'll point it up at like the the corner of the room up here and maybe get, there's a print on the wall behind me. No, I'm probably blocking the sound anyway here. Um, and so I'm getting the corner of that print and, you know, kind of the corner of the room. There we go. Um, I'll show it to you. You know, nobody else can see it. Maybe, maybe you can see it, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's different. I don't think I've seen many photos like it, but is it any good? Probably not. Um, does it maybe more importantly, does it express anything that I want to express in a photograph? Not really. 
Um, so originality in itself isn't to me like the the end all and be all. Um, I think for me, and, and you know, I'm just talking for myself, the more important thing is to make photographs that express what I want to express. And hopefully that communicate something about that to other people as well, like so that other people get a little bit of what it is I'm trying to say. Um, I do think there is definitely some value in sort of creativity and, and originality. Um, the, I think one of the, well, for me, I guess, I guess I think it's sometimes comes down to the difference between whether it's internally motivated or externally motivated. Right. So in other words, if you're trying to sort of explore your own vision and your own path and, and pushing yourself to, to go deeper and photograph things maybe in a, in a way that you haven't done before um, that more fully express what it is you want to say, that's wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll just say like, as an aside here that for me, um, I can't do that all the time. I think that's, that's kind of puts a lot of pressure on yourself. If you have to go out and try to make a super original image, even, even for you, every time you go out. Um, but sometimes, and sometimes that's part of the fun of it, right? Is just that creative aspect and pushing yourself that way. But I also think sometimes that it's easy for us as photographers to get trapped into kind of external motivations where we think, you know, I, I want to make a photograph that's different or original because that'll make me stand out. Um, that'll make people notice me or, you know, because I want to be different. And, and that, you know, that difference kind of in whether it's, you know, coming from your own desire just to better express yourself versus wanting to be different for the sake of being different, I think matters a lot, um, both, first of all, for your own personal enjoyment of the process, but it also matters in the result. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to, to define it, but I feel like I can tell when I look at someone's work whether, you know, and if someone is, is photographing something maybe in a, a slightly different way, I feel like I can tell whether that came sort of organically and from that internal motivation, or it came from a desire to sort of stand out and be different. Um, and, you know, I mean, if, and it's certainly if somebody wants to do that and, and photograph, do something different for the sake of being different, you know, that, that's fine with me. Um, I, I think though that, um, you're probably going to make better work and also enjoy the process more if it comes internally. Let, let's compare there though. If, if you're working on something 
internally versus externally. Let's let's focus on that morning at Tunnel View. Like obviously mm. iconic location. You're just there taking mm. photos. You know, it's been shot so many times before versus an approach of an internal motivation. You know, maybe you're trying to express an emotion or a life event that you're going through, or maybe just the mood that you're in, you see the light and it makes you feel a certain way and you're photographing it that way. Is there a a difference in, I don't want to say approach here to the photograph, but a difference in mindset and how like calm or Zen you are about how you're composing the shot? Hmm. Um, let me, let me think about that here for a second. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I think there is a difference for me in, in sort of the approach or the mindset. Um, it's, it's not that I, I necessarily consciously think about, oh, I'm going to approach this different way, but, but it just sort of naturally occurs that way where, you know, when I was at Tunnel View that that other morning, to to take an example, um, I was just responding to the light in the clouds and what was happening at the time, and that kind of photography, right, where you're where things are changing quickly, and you're as a photographer responding to those changes. Um, it's it's kind of kind of more active. It's more um, exciting in some ways, you know, that there's a little bit, there can be a little bit of an adrenaline rush, like, Oh my God, look at what's happening. And, you know, I got to try to capture that. Um, and, and that's fun in itself, I think, you know, just that. And that's part of the reason why, um, like I en- enjoy doing that sometimes at a place like tunnel view where, you know, first of all, I just, it's just really beautiful to see, but also photographically it's fun to, to just react to those changes and, and do the best I can to, to capture that. I'm, I'm not, I think in a situation like that, um, thinking that I'm going to come away with some, you know, wonderfully original or different image. You know, I'm, I'm just enjoying it and having fun photographing what I'm inspired to photograph at that moment. Um, I think there are other times when I slow down a bit more. Um, maybe the light's not changing that quickly. And so I'm wandering around looking, you know, maybe there's some some kind of obvious subjects or subject or subjects that are interesting. Maybe there's not. And, and I just open myself up to whatever I might find. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a little bit slower. It, that might tend to be, situation, especially like if, if there's nothing that's, that's just immediately obvious or exciting, that might be the kind of situation where, um, or, or that would lend itself in a way to, to kind of pushing yourself more creatively, almost because you have to, right? Because there's nothing that jumps out at you immediately that you think, oh, there's the shot kind of thing. That. It, it begs a question for me, and I'm I'm trying to word this perfectly. And I, I, when you were describing that, you know, we've talked about 
emotional expression and, and what we hope to do with our photography, but we've also talked about external motivations. And I think the easy question here for me to ask is, how do you hope to inspire others from your photography? But I'm going to switch it around here and say, well, if you take a photo, how do you hope to inspire yourself from creating a photograph? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, if I make an image that for me, um, maybe pushes my own boundaries a little bit, if it stretch, if I'm stretching myself a little bit and if that image, well, it, it I was going to say if it works, but, but it doesn't even have to work. It, it could be just that it, it, I see some potential there. Right. You know, so I'd say, well, this one, this particular instance, that idea, whatever it was, didn't particularly work, but I see some potential there. I mean, that, that, that could be inspiring in terms of seeing a new direction or new possibilities that I hadn't seen before. Um, and, and for me, I guess at, at this point in my long photography career, it, it's sometimes small things like, um, I, I remember an evening in uh, one of the wildlife refuges down in the Central Valley here in California, not too far away from, from where I live. We go there, my wife Claudia and I go there in the winter pretty often to, to photograph birds in the wintertime, big flocks of wintering geese and cranes and things like that down there. And, um, and there were some geese in a pond and, and they were kept taking off in, in kind of waves. And, and I was looking right into the sun or at least I could be, it kind of had the choice of, you know, do I want to shoot sort of looking at an angle to the sun or do I want to shoot looking right into the sun? And I thought, you know, that's not going to work. I'm going to get lens flare and whatever. And I just said, well, what the heck, you know, I'll try it, see what happens. Maybe I'll get lucky. And, and as the birds are taking off, one of them will fly right in front of the sun and, and kind of block the lens flare. Um, so I did that and just tip, kept taking series of pictures and, and actually ended up getting a photograph that I really liked. And as it happened, yeah, uh, uh, you know, the edge of this bird of a bird was, was blocking enough of the sun to, to uh, block most of the lens flare. Um, so that's like kind of a small thing, but it, in my mind, maybe opens up some new possibilities in the future. Like I won't, after that, I wasn't as afraid to just shoot right into the sun and lens flare be damned, you know, if I get flare, maybe that's okay. Maybe I can get rid of it, whatever. But, um, you know, just, just, um, seeing a possibility in kind of a different lighting situation that, that I might've avoided before. I think we, we often have in our own minds or develop, uh, in our own minds as we progress in our photography journey, these ideas about what works and what doesn't, you know, you've, you've, we've all made photos in the past that have worked and we've, we've made some that haven't worked. And, um, it's kind of easy to go back to the things, you know, will work, right. The techniques, the ideas, the compositional ideas, whatever they might be. Um, but, um, sometimes it's good to revisit those, those 
ideas about what won't work. Like you've developed ideas about, well, that's never going to work. Well, are you sure? Maybe you should try it. Maybe, you know, you've, you've, you've grown probably as a photographer since you internalized that idea that, oh, this, this isn't going to work. And, and maybe you can find a way to make it work. So. In, in our internalization of what works and what doesn't, uh, do you see more growth coming out of, I don't the, the, the shots that don't transpire into something that you're specifically proud of or not going to show anybody or the ones where you can look back and remember, yeah, I remember that morning. It was an amazing photograph and, and I can show it to you right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time time thinking of off the top of my head of specific images that, you know, were sort of some some breakthrough in some way or the other. Um, so so I think there there are usually if if there's some if I can look back and see that, that I made some kind of creative breakthrough at some point, it was not necessarily that there was one image that, um, you know, I said, wow, you know, that's, that's it. Um, it's more of what I described in that process of making those high key images where I, you know, saw a possibility. I started experimenting with it. The, the early experiments weren't all that great, but I could see some potential and then just continued to work at it and re and refine it. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. <laughs> That's the best I could come up with. I think it does. I, I do want to get to this question just because, I mean, w when I started out with my photography, endeavor I'll, I'll say uh i read three blogs it was ian plant richard burnaby and, and yours i would always come back to those three and check on them and see you know who had posted something that day and you've been writing oh, nice. for yeah absolutely you've been writing for photography and about photography for a long time what what does the writing process give you that maybe aids the expression of your photography or, or gives you something that photography doesn't give you? Hmm. Well, you know, first of all, yeah, I've been, I've been writing my blog for a long time. I think I started in maybe 2009 or 2010. And, um, I have to say I was very reluctant to do it at first. It was Claudia who pushed me to do it, who thought it would be a really good thing. And, um, I'm, I'm really grateful she did because, uh, it's been, it's been a great thing for, uh, my business and photography. That's really kind of the, the core of it. Um, and, but it also, I found that I enjoyed it maybe more than I thought I would. I think, you know, I, I was reluctant to get into it because it's like, you know, who has time to do that? Who has time to write a blog? But I've, I've found that I do enjoy it. Um, one of the things that I'm sure you know, and and many of the other guests on your podcast have, have learned as well, is that 
when you when you teach something, you learn a lot in the process yourself. And you know that's that's definitely been true for me in teaching photo workshops, but also in writing the blog. You know, sometimes it it, it just forces me to think more deeply about a certain topic and and I learn some things in the process of either about my own photography, my own creative process, or it could even be a technique. Um, it could be, um, I don't know, just, just all kinds of, of different aspects to it. And not, you know, not every post in my blog is necessarily educational. Some of them are um, more just like a story about how I made a photograph or something, but I try to at least pretty frequently incorporate some kind of educational component in there. Some, some, you know, lesson I learned along the way or something I can pass along. Where can people go to read more of that blog, uh, find more out about you? And, and I know you have a Lightroom course as well. Yeah. Um, well, michaelfry.com. So F R Y E. And you'll, you should be able to easily find my blog from there. Uh, I have two Lightroom courses, uh, including a new one that came out last fall called, uh, advanced techniques. And, um, yeah, that's really, really the hub for everything. You know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, so you can find me, find me there. Um, I think Instagram, it's uh, mfry photo. So, yeah, I'm I'm on all the usual, you know, usual social media social media spots as well. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking photography. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been fun. So the podcast just ended here, but it's actually still going over on Patreon. You remember me talking about Franca and how she's a patron to the podcast. Well, she's getting access to about 15 to 20 minutes of extra content from my interview with Michael Fry, where Michael continues to talk about internal versus external in photography, experiences shooting, overcoming ruts in photography and creativity, and also a little chat about what him and his photography friends talk about whenever they're together in the field. That part was really fun, and I had a great time talking with Michael during the bonus content for our patrons. So if you want that bonus content, as well as other benefits of becoming a patron of the Landscape Photography Show, and just knowing that you're keeping the podcast going week after week, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for whichever tier fits your budget. And I'm so thankful for those who have done that. Thank you so much, and I'll see you guys next week.